Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom's weight management programs are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. What's up, man? How you doing? What's up, bud? Good to see you. Good to see you too. All right, hold on. I got this whole big spiel I got to do first, and then we'll, we'll get to it. So, okay. listen, it, it's it's not very often you get to interview a guy who has one of the best fastballs in all of baseball, and that listen, that is not me blowing smoke either. Uh, by Stuff Plus, our guest has a top five four seamer in all of baseball, filthier than Jacob Degrom, filthier than Garrett Cole, filthier than Liam Hendricks, countless others. It's not just filthy on paper either; it executes like crazy. The four-seamer had a top five swinging strike rate in all of baseball, which helped our guest today return a top five whip in all of baseball with a shockingly minuscule 0.77. More importantly, off the field, our guest is a truly stand-up human being, an amazing father, an A-plus golfer. He played Shinecock Hills a couple of weeks before the U.S. Open back in 2018, which I'm sure we'll have a conversation about, and a man who is as humble as his stuff is dominant, the inimitable Paul Sewald. Paul, thank you so much for joining us, man. Thank you so much for that introduction. That was fantastic. Yeah, of course. First and foremost, how how are you doing? How are you feeling? How's everything going this off season? Feeling good. So I had a couple of uh, I had a couple of procedures right after the playoffs, uh, a little elbow scope and some heel stuff. But um, feeling good, feeling ready. First bullpen tomorrow to uh, on our on our way to spring training in a couple of weeks, and and it'll be season before we know it. It's unbelievable. I really do want to impress upon people too, Paul. I followed Paul for a while. Paul follows me on Twitter for some reason. And I do want to impress upon people truly that you are one of the kindest pitchers that I've talked to such a humble, kind dude. And I, 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 one of my things is always making sure people try to get to know the pitchers just outside of the sport, right? You're so much more than just a pitcher. And I do want people to know that, man, you're, you're a good human being. You're a very good human being. So I appreciate that. I appreciate that. I, my parents would appreciate that. Good. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's get into some of these questions that I have. I want to start with your four seamer. I, I talked a little bit about it in the intro here. It, it's dominant and it's also super unique, right? And it's also not super velocity dependent, right? I mean, obviously the name of the game in baseball right now is dudes throwing 96, 97, 98, 100. That's not your four seamer, but still it dominates overall. Can you talk to us just about your journey with your four seamer throughout your career? Yeah, it's 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 been a journey. It's been a journey to get to here. Um, I had four mediocre at best seasons in New York. Um, I, you know, I had some pitching coaches go back and forth on what they wanted me to do for a little bit. I was throwing submarine, trying to throw sinker submarine. Um, you know, and I always felt like every once in a while when I threw the ball up, I thought, you know, from a personal standpoint, oh, I blew it by him, which I'm not blowing it by him at 93. But if they're looking 91 and I throw 93, maybe I blew it by him. Uh, but it was the fact that it rose essentially out of my hand into the top of the strike zone that worked so well. Mm. But I always seemed to do it on accident. I never really tried to throw up. I always tried to throw to a location down and away, and it just you know happened. I overthrew and it kind of went up and up and in type of thing. So um, you know, I get I get with Seattle Brain Trust, and they're trying to figure out you know, hey, we need you to throw the ball at the top of the zone every 
every time you throw a fastball. That's what we need. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just try and work on it. And, you know, we went to the alt side and, and it finally clicked at the alt side. And, and you know, a couple of weeks later, I got, got a call with them it could get, to get called up in, in May of 2021 and um, haven't looked back. And, you know, we just, we just have worked through it and, and it's gotten a lot better. And um, it feels good to have a fastball that I feel like I can play no matter if I'm behind in the zone or behind in the count or ahead in the count. And that obviously makes a difference. So was, was there like a, you know, a physical cue for you that helped it click? Like, was there something that you just changed in your mechanics that you're like, all right, this is my new physical cue that I'm going to stick with? Yeah. You know, I was struggling with it in spring training in 2021 and, you know, a playing catch and I'm playing catch, um, getting ready before the game. And it's like at 120 feet, I'm getting like unbelievable carry. It's feeling like it's coming out and it's like really carrying. And that's, you know, what they tell me that I need. And I'm like, all right, how do I throw like I do at 120 on the mound? And I'm just kind of trying to think like, okay, I get a little bit of arc. I kind of get under it and it kind of sails. I got to figure out how I can get under a pitch from 60 feet. You know, so I kind of, this is just, you know, we're trying to work through things. And I kind of, I crouch down a little bit, try and figure out mm-hmm. like, okay, if I can get under the ball, it may go up but instead of getting on top of the ball. Like I've been told, you know, for 25 years how to throw. Yeah. And it's like, okay, let me see if I can get under a ball. And I kind of just started like in the pen, kind of like floating balls in, like starting with my elbow and kind of floating, just like you throw, if you're playing, you know, if you were just lobbing a ball to a, to a three-year-old that's trying to hit for the first time. And I said, okay, like that's kind of starting to get that backspin. And then like, I kind of had the catcher stand up and it's like, all right, I got it. I got it at maybe six feet. Like how do I get it to five feet or four and a half feet tall mm-hmm. and kind of just started crouching him down, down, down until we finally found like a great, a great spot for me to, to focus on and just try and get under the ball and throw it as hard as I can rising out of my hand. That's amazing. I love that. That's such great insight. I feel like we really don't get to hear about that quite a lot. I, I, that brings up another interesting question though. I mean, you've been a part of a few organizations. You obviously probably know a lot of pitching coaches and a lot of fans nowadays are feel as if they could be pitching coaches because we know how to work a baseball savant search engine. But I had had a conversation with a pitcher a while ago, you know, and there was a question about, well, why don't you increase the usage of this one particular pitch? Cause it could theoretically improve your results. And there's always that kind of dichotomy of like, it's easy for me or for someone else to say that because that's not my livelihood, right? Like if I said, Hey, throw your slider more because I think it'll help you and you threw your slider more and it got hit more and you lost a job because of it, then I look like a jerk, right? Throughout your career as a pitcher, how do you navigate what you feel is likely best for your arsenal compared to what countless others have told you might benefit your arsenal? Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll stay away from my New York time, obviously, because, you know, it wasn't that successful and there's kind of stuff going back and forth. But when you talk about, when you talk about transforming yourself, with Seattle, it was, I kind of was, at first I was in this position of, well, you better fix whatever you've been doing or you're probably out of baseball. So why don't we mm-hmm. listen to them and try and figure out how to make that work? Because what, what I was doing in New York wasn't good enough to be a consistent major leaguer. So, you know, going in with an open mind is a key. Now, you know, if you're kind of right on the border and you're not, you know, out of baseball or, or back in, it's got, that's, that is harder to, to listen to, you know, what the coaching staff or the front office has for you to say. But I think what's great about the Seattle Mariners is that I trust every single person who would come into a meeting to tell me something. If they, they have the data, they have not only data, but just like a, a track record of success that shows, 
hey, like if we think that you should throw your slider 50% of the time instead of 30% of the time, like they're probably up to something. Like they don't, they're not, <laughs> yeah. you know, they probably have a reason for it. Now I, I have no problem saying why, why would you, mm-hmm. like, why do you think I should do that? And they'll tell me, and you know, we kind of go back and forth and we've had a couple of conversations about stuff over the last two years. Like, yeah, that's not what I'm seeing on the mound, but like, you know, I'm not perfect. So how can we get to be the best, you know, I can possibly be. And it just goes back and forth. And it's, you know, I'll talk to Joel Furman and he'll kind of, you know, he'll say something. And I'm like, well, you know, in a game situation, I don't think about throwing two fastballs. Oh, I need to throw two sliders. This is sure. like, it just kind of like works that way. And it's like, okay, then let's go into the series knowing, Hey, these guys, A, B, and C, maybe air on the side of fastball C D E and F maybe we should air on the side of slide. And it just kind of like works that way into how do we fix our pitch mix? And that's the easiest, that's the easiest change you can do. That's, you know, that's developing pitches in the minor leagues is good, but then, you know, you can always just say like, Hey, we just want you to throw your slider 75% of the time and people can come up and they can do that. Sure. So that, that brings up another interesting point that too, about like, about, preparation and the kind of mental aspect of the game, which I'm always fascinated by. So going off of what you just said, is there a moment where the analytics just leaves your head and it's just simply about execution? And then when is that moment? Do you, when's the last moment you're thinking about that sequencing? Is it as soon as you come onto the field or it's even when you get to the park, you're just like, I'm focused on executing and not analytics right now. Yeah. When the, when the game starts, when the game starts, it's totally competition. Like, working on your mechanics, thinking about, you know, analytics, that is a death sentence. Anybody, mm-hmm. hitters, fielders, pitchers, the whole group, if you're thinking about anything other than just competing, you have no chance. Like it really, the margin of error is just so small. You just, you have to just go out there and game. Now, after the game, we can take a look. We're there for five hours before the game. Let's take a look at, you know, what have you seen in the last nine innings? That's that's something we do is I, I get checked every nine innings. Like, well, what did we see? Because any given night can be, you know, a fluke, we play somewhere it's cold or sure. I get a bad batch of baseballs in the ninth inning and, you know, the ball doesn't quite move. But like, let me look at the last nine innings. Am I consistent with where we want to be? Is there something we need to fix? So we nip it in the bud, you know, nine innings in instead of, hey, I had a terrible 2022 season. Like now I have to fix something in the off season. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's like, we can talk about all that stuff until 710. At 710, it's like, hey, I'm just going to get ready, get warm. Let's go over a quick, like, who am I facing? I try and remember a little bit of the scouting report. And then, like, it doesn't even matter what the scouting report is because, like, I may feel something different in the game. Cal may call something that it's like, oh, that wasn't what we talked about, but he's been behind the plate all game. And I'm kind of watching, like, mm. you're right. This guy's kind of like, he hits fastballs, but I don't know. He's got a slow bat today. Like, I can blow this one by him. So for that stuff, it's just kind of like, you, it just takes game preparation and just, you know, playing in a bunch of games and just know like, Hey, this is what I do really well. I'm just going to do it today. So listen, I mean, even what you just said has me ready to run through a wall. It gets me so excited, but like you're talking about, we get this prep, we're studying seven ten. the game starts. Right. And then you're kind of put on simmer, right? You've been boiling over beforehand because you're prepped. You're ready to go. This is how I'm feeling. I've got my warm up pitches. This is what my body is that day. I slept well. I didn't sleep well. And then again, seven o'clock hits, you're back on simmer. How do you ride that? How do you mentally deal with, I got to stay in this game, even though I'm probably not going to, you know, get in there and work really until nine, nine thirty. Yeah. You know, you just kind of you compartmentalize. It. So I get to the field at two o'clock and I do two hours of work. It's, it's, 
it's prep, it's seeing the trainers, it's working out. It's, you know, we'd go through our stretch and throw. Uh, maybe that's my chance to work on a couple pitches before batting practice starts. And that's like two hours of really working. And then I kind of have like two to three hours where it's kind of hang out. I shag BP. I don't really mm-hmm. run that much at BP kind of just shag balls, throw them in, um, have some dinner kind of like, you know, play some cards, that sort of thing, kind of tune it down. And then it's like, okay, seven o'clock. I know I'm kind of peaking towards that seventh, eighth, ninth inning that I'm going to throw. So for the first three, you know, I'm kind of just watching the game, chatting with the guys in the pen. Maybe I, you know, maybe I do my quick workout in the first two innings before I go out to the pen, that sort of thing where it's like, you just trend up until it's game time in the eighth, ninth inning. And then that's where my time is. So, you know, and then that's something you just work on. And the most important thing is knowing when you're going to pitch, like what your mm-hmm. spot is in your, in your bullpen. And I think, I think Scott and, and the whole group did a really good job of like, this is who you are in our pen. Mm-hmm. We have, we had eight, nine ridiculously good pitchers at any moment down there, but everyone mm-hmm. knew their role. Not everyone is the closer. Not everyone is the fireman, but like when that spot was called upon, they knew that was theirs. That's why they were mentally prepared. And I think that helps in why our bullpen so good is that everyone knows their role. Yeah, I was going to say too, I imagine that that's, I mean, I imagine that takes some buy-in from the other relievers too, but I imagine once there is the buy-in, it builds this kind of team atmosphere, right? Like, I don't care when you put me in, put me in and I'm going to execute the way you need me to execute, it sounds like. Yeah, you know, we have a really good bond down there, you know, that we talk about a bunch of things that is, you know, like, we're very lucky that our starters usually go five and six innings, so it kind of gives us some time <laughs> yeah, to sure. talk if we don't, you know, we don't get overused. So I'm very thankful for all those guys, but, you know, we kind of talk about like, hey, like, this is what I've seen your last three. Like, Hey, you know, mm-hmm. let's just mentally lock it. And a lot of that can be during stretch at three thirty. It can also be, you know, at seven, seven fifteen. You're kind of just like, Hey, you know, Castillo's throwing today. Like you're probably, we're not probably going to go in the game until seven seven. Like we're fine. We can just kind of, we can just talk a little bit. Um, but yeah, you know, it just comes to, Hey, this is what they ask us to do. And this is what they've talked about in their scouting report before the series. You need to be ready for that spot and we're ready. And it's, you know, the ultimate goal is to win the world series. And, you know, we came up a little short, but everyone knows their role in making sure that we can be the best we can be. Yeah. That was a, I know you ended up short, but there were some fun playoff games for Seattle. (laughs) That was, that was a blast, man. Um, All right. Let's get to arguably the most important uh, question that I have for you, which I didn't include in the notes on purpose. Are you still using the Callaway Epic driver in your golf game? Uh, I got a Callaway Epic speed upgrade. Um, you did what was that two maybe like a year ago year ago year and a half ago um and it's definitely helping a little bit technology you know it's funny you know when i first got into golf and kind of just picked up clubs they're like yeah that's like if you used a bat that didn't fit you and you just went up to the plate and i was like well no bats fit me because i'm a pitcher so i don't really know but getting fitted and everything has obviously helped my game a little bit i still you know it's still a hobby and you know i'm not that great at it but it's uh i enjoy it very much Okay. All right. That's good. Um, All right. So let's go back to, uh, you know, you hit on this a little bit earlier too, about like, you know, this is what your last three or four outings were like to a starting pitcher gets rocked in in any start and he knows, all right, you know, I got four days, I'm going to prepare this way and I'm back out there on the fifth day and I can wash that away. You have a bad outing. You have something that doesn't go your way. You have no idea, obviously, when the next time you might be able to get into a game is, how do you how do you bridge that gap? Is it as soon as I'm off the field, I'm not even thinking about it anymore? Or what are the steps there? 
Yeah, you know, that's something that's evolved over the course of my career. It's, I've gotten a lot better at it. It was something that I used to take home with me at night, lose a little sleep thinking about the outing, wake up, maybe still thinking about that outing slash, all right, well, I got to get better and put pressure on myself and, you know, think about that. Where now, you know, I'm very lucky. I'm very fortunate to be in a situation where one outing isn't going to, you know, send me down or get me DFA'd mm. or anything like that. So, like, and, you know, we just have a lot of trust. The, the people in Seattle just have a lot of trust in me to, you know, bounce back and you know for for me that's kind of that's really helped throw it away as soon as i leave the field now i'm not you know we're all human we all kind of think about when things don't go well and we have failure but for me it's like i could pitch again tomorrow in the exact same situation we could be up one in the ninth and if i blew the save tonight i need to be ready tomorrow to turn it around and and so that as a reliever is the most important thing is just forgetting that you had a bad outing and just going right back to work Easier said than done, but it is the most important thing is just having a short-term memory um, because you have to be ready the next night because I only threw 20 pitches, 25 pitches. That means I'm absolutely ready to go tomorrow. I need to I need to lock it in again because if I'm called upon, I need to make sure that it doesn't happen twice in a row. Yeah, it's, I mean, listen, I'm a fan and uh, uh, sometimes I can get frustrated if a closer blows a save, but then I also take a step back and empathize with the fact that like when I mess up at work, I feel like a jackass and I think about it the entire night and then I try to not take it with me and I don't have 40,000 people watching me when I do it. You know what I mean? I, 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 I am fortunate enough that I can, I can screw up in private and that's pretty fine with me. So I try to be pretty empathetic to the fact that that's what you guys are going through. And hopefully people listening, if that happens, realize the reliever is probably more upset than you are that it happened. So you can, you can let it lie. I know that seems shocking that we care about our job, but we actually care about our job. I understand that fan is short for fanatic, but like I really do care if I do well. This is yeah. something where I don't care that I blew a save and we lost. Like you, you, people act like that didn't matter to me. It matters more to me than it does to you, whether you gambled on the game, whether I'm on your fantasy team, or if you're just a general, you know, Meredith fan. Like, please understand that. Obviously, I'm doing the best that I can. I didn't try to blow a save. I've never tried to blow a save in my life. I don't know anybody who's ever tried to do poorly. Yeah, that's that's so great to hear you say that too, because it's like, yeah, I think that's just really important for fans to hear that no one is deliberately going out there to do that. Why did you throw that pitch there? Oh, I really wanted it to get hit. That's why. Oh, I really wanted to give up that home run. No, exactly. You're going out there to do the best that you can every day. and Because our fans... analytics group has spent hours prepping for the yes. series against Houston. We talked about it for an hour in our scouting report meeting before the series. Trent and I talked about it for five minutes before I went in the game. So, I don't know, seven, eight hours worth of of work went into thinking I was going to throw that pitch. Like yeah. I don't, we don't just go out there on a whim and be like, I don't know. I guess I'm going to try the split finger today in the biggest <laughs> situation of the season. Like yeah. there's a lot of work that goes into it. That's why I threw the pitch. Did I throw it perfectly? Not every time, but sometimes I do but throw a great pitch and it doesn't work. Like they also get paid to hit. And it's just one of those things. That's what cracks me up, man. I remember thinking a couple of years ago when Snell was removed from a playoff appearance a little bit too early and people were like, that's it. What are they thinking? And it's like, I guarantee you that there is a binder, like a binder of information about that man, about health, about circumstances, about inning. And the fact that people like, I understand, obviously, you know, analytics is a spectrum and maybe sometimes some people can go too far or maybe sometimes people can go too far in the other direction. I get it. But it always frustrates me when people just feel like it's just some manager being like, "Ah, I guess I'll do this. But it's it's not that it's never that. 
Um, all right, I want to talk a little bit about your slider. I was looking at your 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 Brooks baseball page, and it seemed like there was a little bit of an evolution in the slider movement profile over the course of the season in terms of some of the uh, vertical movement that the pitch got. Is that true? Yeah. So you know, it seems crazy to say that I had as good a year as I did without having my slider feel good, but I really didn't feel like I had my best slider at any point wow. in 2022. Um, there were times that it kind of would trend up, you know, the first month and a half, it was awful. And then we had a few weeks where it was good. And, you know, we kind of went back and forth where it's like, God, it hasn't really been good this month. And then I'd have a good couple of weeks and then it, you know, it was just, it was just okay. And then, um, I really felt like started to make a little bit of stride in September and October. I th- really thought I threw some really good ones. Um, you know, which is unfortunate that we just, you know, the season ended at that point, but we're trying to, mm-hmm. we're trying to remember exactly what I was feeling, what I, exactly what I was doing um, to go into this year. And, you know, I'm just trying to throw the perfect sweeping fastball with, you know, as positive a vertical movement as possible and just as much horizontal movement as possible. Um, we're not trying to get that, that depth. And, you know, if mm-hmm. I get depth then it happens, but um, yeah. So, you know, it's just trying to trend and, and trying to work on it. And, you know, you talk about starters have four days in between and they get to throw two pens, maybe to fix yeah. it. I have to fix a lot of my stuff in the bullpen 30 seconds before I go in the game or stretch it three thirty. If you, you know, if you're trying to work on something, it's difficult, but you know, that's just the life of a reliever. And you know, it's just one of those things that you have to, you have to try and get the feel. And, and that's part of throwing every day and trying to make sure you have the feel of everything, but I can go two weeks with it not being good. And then I could, you know, have a great day and then it'd be bad a week. And then, you know, then I have two months where it's nasty and just one of those things you just got to, you got to go out there with what you have that day. And that's, that's where like this guy report is, but you know, I just, Hey, I got to shake. Like I just don't have it today. Yeah. It's just like, it seems like it's such a moment to moment job, which like, I don't know how that doesn't give you crippling anxiety. It does to me. <laughs> uh, maybe that's why I'm don't throw baseballs for a living. Sometimes it can feel like food has an emotional control over you. Well, it's time to show your food. Who's boss with noon. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Start taking control of your weight management and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. When it comes to weight management, we tend to put our focus on what we eat. But Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat, and that's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 
98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Try Noom today and see the results for yourself. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Um, it, it seems like now, you know, just based off the, the interviews I've seen you have and just the way that you're, you know, the way that you talk about um, pitching overall, that you've got a fairly good relationship with analytics. Was that always the case? Was this something where you were a little bit hesitant at first? Or have you always been someone who's kind of interested in that aspect of the game? Yeah, you know, when I was, we were a little bit behind when I was in New York in the analytics department. So I kind of, when I got there, I was like, oh, they have, you know, they have some information that I realized, you know, there's more out there and, you know, I'm not performing at the, at the level that I want to perform at. And, you know, this, this analytics, you know, trend is going across the league, mm-hmm. you know, and you watch this person made this adjustment and went to the roof. This person made this yeah. adjustment and went to the roof. And then I came to the Mariners and was like, you know, I don't know if I'm a major league pitcher, but like, I feel like there's more in the tank than I've shown. Like maybe, maybe I'm one of those guys that this analytic stuff works and, you know, I changed my career around and I did. And, you know, that just kind of opens me up to, you know, what else is there? Like what Mm -hmm. else, what other information is out there? And it's hard because front offices can't share it with everybody because not everyone processes it the same. Yeah. Um, you know, but it's it's very interesting in my limited conversations that I try to have as often as possible with people in charge. And, you know, they're just thinking about things that I've never thought about. It just is, well, that's just the way, it's just the way it is. Like, I don't, I don't really know. And they they provide some information. It's like, okay, like that seems to back up what I've seen over the th- course of 30 years of playing and, and seven years of Major League Baseball. So um, I'm just very interested in reaching my potential and, and very interested in, in how somebody can literally click and the next day they're a different pitcher like that. That always interested me. And it's incredible that it happened to me. And Mm. you know, that's kind of what I just explained to people that it's like, it can happen overnight where you just something works for you. Yeah. And to be clear with this next question, I'm 100% not asking you to speak for anyone, but my interpretation too, is that pitchers who might be a little bit more hesitant to embrace analytics are, you know, the reason behind that could be, well, I've gotten this far with this and no one's going to, you know, no guy who sits behind a desk all day looking at algorithms is going to tell me how to throw this way, because if you're wrong, I'm out of a job. Is that your experience with, again, this isn't about you putting words in other people's mouth or saying, oh, this pitcher thinks this. In your experience, though, do you find that some pitchers operate that way? Or are there other reasons why they might not be as into analytics? Yeah, that's one of the, that's one of the more difficult parts of this this line of front office analytics people say this to the coaches to the players yeah how do we get our message across this way and then how do i also send it back to the front office mm. where it's not i you know nerd says this actual player thinks this and then we just clash all day and there's no sure. like there's no conversation there's no communication there's no can i explain my side without you being irrational and thinking, you know, you know, everything. And, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of major league baseball players have been very successful their entire lives and have fairly large egos because why wouldn't we like things Mm -hmm. have gone pretty well for most people here. Um, So a lot of us think we know a lot about everything. Now Mm. it's when you start to open your mind to, I don't know everything about everything. 
I know a lot about, I know a lot about pitching. I, you know, I'm a very good major league pitcher, but like, I don't know everything about it. And I don't know why it happens. Sometimes it just yeah. happens. So why don't I listen to somebody who may know why or why not? And then we can go back and forth. And it's just, you know, it's just difficult that like, like you said, I've been successful for 30 years. Why would I try and change anything that yeah. I've ever done? This works for me. Well, does it work to get you there? Does it work to get you to an all-star level? Does it work to get you to one of the best players in the league? Or does it just, it just worked to get you that? Like, that's just part of it. And it, you know, there's the Mariners have done a really good job of hiring people in the middle of the analytics department and the players that can mm, give, give a perspective of here's what they're talking about. Like, yes, I'm listening to you, but like, what do you think of this in more of a baseball term? And that's Woody, Woody and Trent are unbelievable at that. And I think that's mm. part of the reason that we have a very good line of communication going back and forth. And it, that leads to the, the analytics department also being open to just because I, the numbers say this doesn't mean that I know for a fact that that works. Like they sure. have to listen to us as well. Like both all parties have to be open to communication or it doesn't work. And, and that's why I think we do a really good job of that. It's because everybody, nobody goes into it with a huge ego that I know everything, but I do know a little bit. Why don't we talk about what I know? Yeah, that's fun. So it's really all about level setting, right? Understanding the context, understanding where you're coming from. I've never, in, in all the talks I've had with people, I've never heard it really put that way about it's a two-way communication. I've always focused on the fact that like, okay, you need a conduit. You need someone who can speak the language of a pitcher who is going to be able to relate to them in a way that's not like, you need to do this or do that. Like it has to be about physical cues. It has to be about pitching. Um, but I never really thought about it the other way where those analysts need to also understand that language. Not so just not so just they can not so they can just convey that information, but so they can receive it back as well. That's a that's a really fascinating point. Um, we're going to get back to the mechanics and, and the mentality questions, too. But I want to spend the next couple of minutes getting to know you and, you you know, your personality. Obviously, you know, you're okay. a, a, an avid golfer. The first thing I have for you is. Edwin Diaz has the trumpets, right? Felix Batista has, you know, last year they started doing this thing with the wire. They play the wire theme music in Baltimore. I'm talking unlimited resources. The owners come to you, Paul. They say, we're doing the shebang. What you want, you get. What is what's What production are you getting when you're coming to the mound to close a game? Well, you know, that's funny because my first year and a half in Seattle was, was lackluster in what I felt was the best bullpen <laughs> in the league's intros to when we come okay. into a game and, you yeah. know, we kind of started talking and, you know, we came up with the nickname Los Bomberos. <laughs> you know, we're trying, we were sitting in the, we were sitting in the bullpen in Texas trying to figure out like, they said like, come up with a nickname for this group on, on Twitter. Mm. And we were kind of like, we should come up with a nickname. And Mooney came up with, you know, Los Bomberos is Spanish for the firemen. We put out mm. the fires. Mm. And I was like, that is dope. Like, that's a good, that is pretty sick. So we sent it to, and they're like, all right, when you guys come back from your road trip, we'll mm. be ready. And they started, you know, fireman by Lil Wayne and flames on every single um, scoreboard. And they turn mm. the lights out. And like, now they have the spotlight on us as we run it. And it is it. Now we don't have one person where a lot of teams have the guy. Sure. We have sure. a few, but we have, we have quite a few bomberos and like, it's pretty, it's pretty nasty when we send somebody out there and it goes pitch black and we get the spotlight. It's, it's, uh, it's pretty good. They start to bump the music and, and uh, they started to do a really good job of it. 
Dude, that's sick. I, I like your music suggestion of Little Wayne's Fireman than the song I was thinking, which is It's Raining Men, which would probably be not as exciting for the Los Bomberos to run out to the uh, to the mound to. Um, the, we had a question from we had a few questions from Twitter. People were excited to ask you. This one kind of cracked me up, though. You're at home. All right. And you're throwing a non baseball thing, right? You're throwing a remote. You're throwing a football. OK. How much influence does that baseball wind up have when you're just casually flipping things around? Yeah, I, I saw that. that was pretty good. I, you know, when I think about it, it's probably not a ton. You know, I don't try to throw things as hard as I possibly can <laughs> in the house. Um, that stopped at like five with my brother and I, and my mom's like, you're not allowed to play baseball in the house. Like you guys throw and hit too hard. So things are at much slower pace if I throw something in the house, yeah. whether it's a remote, a tennis ball for my dog, a toy, you like for the most part, it's a lot slower. So it's not really close to my, my, you know, mechanics. Got you. What kind of, what kind of dog do you have? I know people are really going to want to know that. We have a toy Australian shepherd. So oh she's God. A, a purebred Australian shepherd, but she's 10 pounds. So she's like tidy. But that's like energy, 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 right? So we joke, she's like half cat because she just could lay around like all day and like just be relaxed. When she gets going, she's crazy. And like when she gets the zoomies, there's like no stopping her. And when, sure. we go to the, when we go to the dog park and just send her, like she's great. But if we're just sitting at home, she'll just, she just will cat nap like all day. So we're, we got a half dog, half, half cat. But I love it. My, my in-laws loved her so much that they got one and theirs is like never is nonstop. Like she doesn't, <laughs> she never stops. So I think we got a good, we got a good, like relaxed one that we don't, we don't need any more chaos in our lives after, uh, after our daughter has taken over the house. Yeah. So, okay. There's two things to get to there. One, this is something that I still can't stop thinking about. Do you have one of those like chuckets, like one of those um, things that like throws the ball for no. the dog? Okay, no, because she, we, we just do like, we just do down the hall you know, and I can just lob it. No big deal. Um, okay. And then when we go to the dog park, she likes to just play with the other dog. So it's never really like a game of fetch all day long. Have you seen those things though? Do you know what I'm talking yes, about? It's like unbelievable. A- and I, dude, we just need to get those for, for batting practice. So we can just th- like, instead of throwing, I can just like do that thing right into the bucket. Paul, I am begging you. I, every time I throw it with my dog, I think if I gave this to an MLB pitcher, like, would it just go a mile? Like, would they just be able to like chuck this a mile? It, I feel like with your mechanics, it would go forever. I think it would be fantastic. <laughs> All right. The, All right. I'll hit great. you up about that maybe, later. I'm going to ship one to your house. For BP so that I can just stop throwing and I can just like lob it in, but it's just like a hundred miles an hour right to the bucket. <laughs> You're going to kill someone. I love it. Um, so let's. So you have one daughter, right? Yes. Chloe. Uh, how old is she? 17 months. 17 months. That's right. Okay. So yeah. how has how has that journey been? I mean, I imagine that, first of all, I, I also have a kid, 10 months old, so yeah. I'm a little bit behind. But like, you obviously have a different lifestyle than I have. What has that transition to fatherhood been like for you? It's been the best. It's been the best. I don't think it's a coincidence that my, you know, my playing career has gotten a lot better since, you know, first mm-hmm. we found out pregnant and then, and then that we had Chloe. Um, so I definitely think that there's a connection there. Um, you know, the season is really tough. You know, you leave for 10 days and it's like, she's like different when I come back yeah. or, you know, you get four hours, five hours before I go to the field that she's awake before nap time. And um, you know, which is limited, but which is tough, but the off season is just like, just be all dad. Like, so I work out and throw, 
when she's napping and like so we just get endless time together which is just the best thing ever and you know you're you're at that stage but i will i will say like since i'm a couple months ahead of you it really starts to get a lot of fun when they start making like they start talking they start Mm -hmm. walking and like really like expressing themselves and developing that personality so it's been uh it's been fun we we really enjoy it it's i hear the game really changes when they get mobile they start walking around and it's yeah when you can't just lay them down and go to the bathroom and then they're in the exact same spot as when you get back like that's nice until they start going everywhere and you're like holy moly like she doesn't stop she doesn't stop which is i wouldn't trade it for the world um but it is uh it's a lot of work and we're you know we're at it a lot yeah, I'm with you. Um, we've got time for a few more questions, if that's cool with you. Is that yeah? You, yep, we yeah? Some time. All right, great. I didn't know if you had to if you had to bang out. So one more before we get back to the you know the more serious baseball talk. People are curious in the comments to know: Is there a drink of choice on the course that you're rocking with? Is it just water, or if you're having a nice day on the course, what are you drinking? No, we you know I drink a lot of water for baseball, and mm-hmm. when I go out to play golf, it's to have fun. Like you know, of course, I want to shoot well and I want to I want to play well, but at the it's it's a hobby like i just want to i want to have fun while i'm out there so um a little bit of everything i like to do a little bit of everything uh shotgun at the turn a beer shotgun at the turn has been has been my thing for for a long time which is you know seemed to do a lot better on the back nights maybe i needed to do a shotgun at the at the first tee before we get out there but that's been my thing for the longest time and then you know anything anything we can have out there we can have some beers transfusions um you know something something of fun you know, we get to play, I get to play a, a little bit during the season. And when we go to these places, I usually, I typically ask them like, well, what is, what does the bar make? Like, what do you guys mm-hmm. do? I'll take one of those. Cause I'm typically not picky. You know, I'm out there just having fun. Are, are you're a little bit of a foodie too, right? Like you like to, you, am I crazy? You know, I, thinking that? A little bit, a little bit. I like to, you know, when we go, when we go out to these cities, it's like, you know, a lot of guys will just sit there and they'll get Starbucks or order Uber Eats or whatever. And it's like, well, I'm in Dallas, like, why don't I go get some barbecue? Or I'm in Miami, like, I should go get Cuban sandwiches somewhere. Mm. Um, you know, I have to have lunch at some point before I go to the field. I might as well get something that's, you know, famous in that city. So yeah, maybe a little bit. Not, I'm not crazy. You know, I don't, you know, I'm not Mark Canna with his, you know, that's his entire <laughs> Instagram. But, but uh, you know, it is, it is something nice that, like, we're so lucky that we get to travel as much as we do and see these places. Yeah. And, um, you know, I just try to, you know, see sites and, and, get some good food and, and where I'm from. Yeah. Uh, that's funny to hear. Yeah. Mark and I'm like waiting for his food network show to, uh, to appear. Um, this is, this is like one of my favorite, I usually kind of say this for the end, but it's, uh, it's one of my favorite questions to ask. Is there a, what's the most memorable pitch you've thrown? And, and it could be like anything. What's, but what's when, when I say that, like, what's the first pitch that comes to your mind? The most memorable. Yeah. The, the, the outing and the pitch that really like really does it for me um in 2021 we when was this so this is like the week after my daughter was born i just got back from paternity leave we went to we went to houston we lost the first two we're battling and you know we had we go to extras when i come in there's already a guy on second give up a base hit we throw home altuve goes a second we decide to walk brantley to load up the bases, nobody out in Houston in the bottom of the whatever inning it was. And it's like, all right, like no out, nobody out, bases loaded. Like I have nowhere to go, but to essentially like punch everybody out. I struck out Carlos Correa. I struck out uh, Jason Castro and went, 
went 3-2 on Guriel, and he battled like I just kept throwing fastballs at the top, and he kept battling, battling. He's, you know, he's one of the hardest guys in the league to strike out. And um, finally, finally, I got him on, you know, the highest fastball that I threw. He finally just got under it. And it was like, wow, like we just dodged this bullet against a team that we just, you know, as we showed in the playoffs, we're just, we're very close. We just haven't gotten over the hump. And, mm. and it was like to do it against those guys in their park in that situation. That's probably when I think of my Mariners career, that one is probably the one that sticks out the most. I love that. What about, I think that's awesome. I also love when I ask this question to pitchers because the memory that you guys have always cracks me up. Like, I feel like sometimes I can ask guys about like something in their life and they don't remember, but when it comes to like a pitch, they're like, I know the date it was in 2021. I know who was on base. I know what the exact order was. I love that. Uh, yes. So my wife doesn't it, love it, but that, that is. <laughs> oh, or do you find that in your real life? You, your memory isn't quite as good. Yes, I've been told once or twice that my memory is not that great. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. So what about if we zoom back and not and not even Seattle career, like your personal career? So we can go back to high school, middle school, whatever, college. Like, was there another one that was also there for you or no? Not a single, not a single pitch that really is like very memorable. Obviously, you know, there's games, you know, forever that you think about when you, you know, when you're in the zone and you, you know, you look back, you're like, wow, that was like a whirlwind. I don't remember that game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's, there's been so many over the years that, you know, I'm very fortunate. That's why, that's why I am here where I am today. Um, you know, I think the most important one for me last season was, was the last one at home. Um, you know, it was my first time in the playoffs and I didn't perform well at all in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Now I was battling things and, you know, that's, you know, I was coming off a little bit of an injury that we were working through and wasn't feeling comfortable. And thank goodness the you know, we had the greatest comeback in playoff history, so it didn't mm. end up mattering. Um, you know, game one in Houston, you know, was really difficult to try and take, you know, that we were so close. And had we won that game, I, you know, I try not to think about it, but I, it would be, I'd be sure. curious to see how that series would have gone had we won that mm-hmm. game and I finished that game out. But it was nice. It was very nice. You know, Robbie and I had, you know, a little bit of a talk after that game about like, because he didn't pitch well in Toronto. That wasn't how he wanted. And it's like, we wouldn't be here without the two of us, but like, we're going to get one more chance. Like let's make the most out of the next chance mm-hmm. that we get. Uh, and he pitched, he pitched really well in that 18th inning in, in game three. And, you know, I had two scoreless and it kind of felt like, all right, like I didn't get us all the way here to, to struggle in the most important times. We just, you know, it's just a learning curve was my opinion. And I feel like it's, it debuts are the same way. Like some people have the best debuts and I'm, I had an awful debut. I just like emotionally was just like so crazy. I got no sleep the night before traveling mm-hmm. and like I couldn't feel my legs. I couldn't feel my hands. Wow. Free, like, and I just had a really, really poor outing, but like some people just are different, handle that differently. Not that they're, yeah. not that they're less nervous or whatever. They just handle it better. And I didn't really handle the first one as well as I would like to. And so now I feel really good about like, okay, like, you know, hopefully in 2023 when we're in the playoffs, there won't be this, you know, you know, the bright lights are on you, you know, let's get ready. Um, and I'll just be, you know, just be my normal self. So the most important one, I think for me all year was, was the last one that we can go into the off season. Like when I'm ready to pitch in the playoffs next year, I'm going to be my normal self. I love it. I love it. Eating is an emotional experience, which is why managing your weight needs to be a psychological one. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. 
and they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Start taking control of your weight management and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. What about, you know, you've worked, you've worked your entire life to, to do this and you are succeeding at the biggest level. I mean, I know you've harped on some of the things that weren't perfect, but you're there and you're in a situation where it can't even be perfect, right? Which is kind of nice because you've succeeded to this point. What was that? Holy crap. I've, I've arrived moment where, where, when does that happen? Where you're like, I'm, I'm here. I did this. I'm here. Yeah. Um, you know, I, it was, it was my rookie year was like, my rookie year was a really big one. So, you know, I got called up bad first one, whatever second one got sent down a couple of days later, a couple more weeks in AAA came back, um, pitched well in a blowout, but it, you know, it wasn't really necessarily, it didn't mean anything to anybody. You know, it was just a meaningless inning, but for me, it was a, like, all right, I got through a one, two, three inning. Like, this is great. A couple of days later, um, I threw two scoreless eighth and ninth in a blowout. It was like, okay, like I did my part in a, you know, a blowout. The next day I was the first one called upon it through four innings against the Marlins and, and shut them down. And that was the first time that I had faced like Stanton, Yelich, mm-hmm. Bohr, Ozuna, Realmuto, um, and kind of like went through a lineup, like mowed through, I thought was the top three lineup in baseball that year. Mm. And I kind of just sat back after, and you know, it was four innings and I was exhausted and kind of just like, kind of went back and was like, well, there, there aren't any better lineups than that. And that, you know, yeah. we crewed through four there. Like that was pretty good. And it kind of, and you know, that was, that was my moment where I had, I could stop kind of looking over my shoulder. Like, are they going to, are they going to come get me? Cause I threw two innings and I'm going to get sent back to AAA. Sure. And it was like, all right. Like that was pretty good. And it kind of put me in this like comfortable zone the rest of the time that I was in the big leagues for my rookie year. And I think that was probably the most important outing that I had where I was like, look, the lineups aren't any better than that. Those guys are MVPs. Like, and I managed to get through mm-hmm. that. Like I can get these guys out. It's the first time that I really got through a major league lineup facing the best players in the league and pitch well against them. Mm, I love it. Um, we have two more questions for you. Um, one is, you know, we, we, this has kind of been one of the themes of our conversation here. I always try to convey that pitchers are, are human beings before anything else. You hit on this a little bit earlier, but is there anything you wish fans were more in the know about that they currently aren't uh, about players? You know, like the example I gave was, you know, some guys deal with anxiety. Some guys deal with depression. What do you wish you could say to fans to give them more insight there? Gus, that's a great question. I, you know, I wish, I just wish somebody could, could sit, like, I almost wish a fan who feels the need to write on my Instagram after a game could just sit by me for three days and kind of see what it's like, you know, how much work I put in, what it's like to deal with, you know, maybe a child that didn't sleep well the night before and like, but it doesn't matter because I'm dad and like, I have to do that. And then I have to have her in the morning before I go to the game and, you know, you don't get sleep or, you know, you get food. I don't want to say food poisoning like Jordan, but like 
you just don't feel good because you ate something poorly. And it's like, it does not matter. It's 45,000 people. And like, I can't tell Scott, like, Hey, like my tummy hurts. Like I can't fix the ninth <laughs> inning today. You kind of go out there and you just battle and like, you just don't feel great all the time. And like, you don't see that. Cause I jog out from the ninth or jog out from the pen, like the same every single time and go out there. And I just wish they could see like, you know, we are humans. Like, I have a family just like everybody else, like in the off season, I don't think about baseball. I just think about that. And I think about like, let's, how do we schedule stuff for the new house? How do I schedule my wife playing tennis and Chloe's got this. And it's like, I'm normal. Just like you. I just, I'm just really good at throwing a baseball and you know, it worked out really well for me. And I got very lucky that I got put in a situation like this and have made the most of it. But like, you know, we have lunch breakfast, lunch, and dinner, the exact same as everybody else. I just, you know, I'm very good at throwing a baseball and I, you know, lucky there's a lot of money and there's a lot of people watching it. And so I get paid a lot of money to do it, but I'm normal, just like everybody else. So, you know, the Instagram stuff is, is tough when you tell me, you know, yeah. to go kill myself. Cause I blow a save and it's like, you know, I don't think too much about it. Cause it's like, I just know that you gambled on the game and it's like, it's not that big, like, not that big of a deal to me but it's like those things aren't great to hear you know they're not great to yeah. hear. like you know and and you know that's that's part of the negative of the gambling is that you know people are people lose money on a game that maybe i don't perform in which is which is difficult but you know at the end of the day it's sports and and things are crazy yeah it's like you said you already have so many things to think about like i was just thinking about the gambling thing because it's clearly a bigger part of the sport. It's clearly something that's going in one particular direction that we can kind of all read the tea leaves about. I never even thought about the perspective of like, that's, you know, you shouldn't have to think about that. That's, that shouldn't even be yeah. something that enters your brain. It's like you said, like I was up at 2 a.m. because my daughter's a little colicky or something or whatever. Yeah. Like that's the thing that's furthest from my brain right now. So that's, that's really good insight for sure. Yeah. You know, my wife had a great idea that I turned off my social media before the playoff started in case I had a poor performance that would lead to that stuff. And it just is nasty. And it's like, I don't need that in my life, you know, no matter what. And, and, um, you know, a couple of you know, and I, I credit a lot to the Mariners fans are great people. And like it, most of the time it's gamblers that really come for me in my DM. So it's not, it's not Mariners fans being rude or anything like that. Sure. Um, you know, but they thought, they thought that somebody thought that they, uh, they like criticized me off of social media, but I had already done that. And so I didn't really see it. Um, and luckily one of our fantastic reporters and writers for the Mariners kind of said like, you know, instead of, you know, talking shit to Paul, why don't you donate to the charity that he's working with? And we raised, we raised an extra like $10,000 because Mariners fans were so great. So social media can be terrible. Um, but I'm very, very, very thankful that social media has been great in uh, raising more money for kids. So at the end of the day, you know, it worked out just fine in the postseason with with not having my social media. I love that. I love it. So what is your charity too? So people who are listening, if they want to donate. So it used to be Eastside Baby Corner. So if you go on any of my stuff, it's for Eastside Baby Corner, but they just changed their name to Kid Vantage Northwest. So it's an organization in in the Seattle, greater Seattle area that raises money for for kids that just don't have the necessary resources to be the best that they can be. There's lots of families that are struggling with can't find formula, can't mm -hmm. get food, car seats, car seats are drastically expensive and everyone's different and yeah. you don't know how to put them in and your child safety is the most important thing. And they're, they are, they are 
the best in town at putting those in and making sure everything's safe. Um, they're an amazing organization that's been helping kids around Seattle for a very, very long time. And when, when my wife and I had Chloe last year that, you know, when you think about, I have all the resources in the world. I'm very fortunate to have money where I don't have a problem, you know, buying extra milk, food, diapers, Mm -hmm. all this stuff. But I know there's not, there's people that aren't nearly as fortunate and, and kid vantage does an amazing job of making sure that they get the necessary supplies the supplies to the people that absolutely, absolutely need it. That's awesome. I love that. That's great. Thank you for bringing that up. Um, I'm going to end with a, a, a quote. I reached out to this person to try and get a question from him for you. He didn't have one for you. He might've reached out to you. Did he? I don't know if he no. did. It's, no, it's, from, it's from, it's from Jerry Blevins. Uh, and he did not have a question for you, which I really thought he did, but he said, I want you to tell him that he's a hell of a pitcher and I'm proud to see how dominant he's become. He's a testament to trusting yourself and taking your career in your own hands. Uh, so I wanted to share that with you. That, uh, that means a lot. Jerry was, Jerry's very influential in my first couple of years in New York. He was my catch burner. He, you know, is an eight year veteran and I'm, you know, a week into the major leagues, bothering him with questions all the time and, <laughs> and trying to figure out how to be a good major leaguer in this, in this league. And he's done it a long time. And, um, I'm very thankful for him. And he was there when, when I chose to tell the team that I'm not going to throw submarine anymore and I'm going to throw the way I've thrown my whole life. And so I know that's, that's a little bit of what he means. And um, yeah, Jerry, Jerry's a great friend and I'm very thankful for, for him showing me the routine and how to become, you know, a great major league reliever. And, and I wouldn't be here today without Jerry. So, so thank you, Jerry. I appreciate it. He really is a good friend. I thought he was going to be like, ask him about the time he went streaking through Safeco or something <laughs> like that, but he, he kept it on no, the TL. He's, he's great. He's great. I, uh, I appreciate it. And, and he's doing a great job with his post-baseball career of, of talking Mets. And it's fun to see that. And, you know, it didn't work out for me in New York, but nonetheless, I, you know, there's a lot of people that really made a great impact on me when I was there. And, and I'm thankful for that. Gotcha. Well, Paul, I can't thank you enough for being here. I'm I'm a pretty diehard Orioles fan, but I, I'm not going to lie. You've swayed me a little bit to root for the Mariners a little bit this year. Uh, so I, I appreciate you coming on. I wish you the, nothing but the best of luck, both in fatherhood and in pitching this upcoming year. And thank you so much for your time, man. I appreciate it. You know, we're a fun group. We like to have fun. We like to, you know, win, dance, repeat is kind of our thing. So, um, <laughs> you know, we like to have fun up there and you know, I know most people on the East Coast are already sleeping by the time we start our games. But, uh, you know, if you people can stay up late, you know, we're a fun group to watch and we're excited for 2023. Awesome. Awesome, man. Thank you so much for taking the time. All right. We'll talk to you in a bit. Thanks for having me.